Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they're available elsewhere. More information is at upmcpinnacle.com. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Governor Tom Wolf signed the state's gaming expansion bill into law late last month as part of the budget process. The law will allow for the placement of video gaming terminals at truck stops and airports. It will legalize online gambling and allow for brick-and-mortar mini casinos to open throughout the state. And that's what we're going to discuss on a couple portions of today's program. Many officials in the mid-state and municipalities are expressing concern about the placement of the mini casinos. Joining us on the line is Lancaster County Commissioner Chairman Dennis Stuckey. Commissioner Stuckey, welcome to the program. Thank you, uh, Scott. It's good to be with you this morning. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. Specifically, would you like to have or maybe not like to have a mini casino where you live, near where you live. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. Commissioner, you don't want a mini casino in Lancaster County. Why? Well, I've never been supportive of gambling, and it goes back several years, about eight or nine years, whenever one was proposed in downtown Lancaster, and I circulated petitions to stop that. Uh, it was a reuse of a building here that in today's uh, environment is going to be uh, redone by uh, property owners out in Pittsburgh. It's going to be wholesale, or it's going to be retail and office space and some uh some condominiums, so it's going to be a much better use. A, a uh, gambling casino just does not fit Lancaster County, in my opinion. When you say it doesn't fit, why? We're a very conservative county. We govern conservatively here, uh, and even uh, the city of Lancaster is not supportive of a, any kind of a casino. Um, referring back to an article in last week's Sunday, uh, uh, LNP Sunday News, that uh, the mayor of uh, Lancaster, and he's told me himself personally, it's just not a good fit for Lancaster and all that we're trying to portray, particularly the city with the uh, revitalization of the arts district, downtown district, and a family atmosphere on uh, uh, First Fridays that uh, goes on here. So for us, it's not a good fit. Uh, haven't been supportive of gambling and expansion of gambling uh, since it's uh, since its inception years ago. Now, when you what you were referring to, obviously specifically, was the city of Lancaster and, and downtown Lancaster. But what about the rest of the county? I mean, I'm sure that, uh, well, maybe I shouldn't say I'm sure. There may be a municipality in uh, Lancaster County that uh, would look at it and say, you know what, this is a good way to bring revenue in, a good way to bring uh, tourists uh, to our area. What would you think then? You raise a very good question. However, a week ago, we were with the uh, Lancaster County Association of Township Supervisors. They have a a yearly meeting. Uh, We were out in New Holland, and uh, none of the discussion there that I'm aware of uh, indicated any of the municipalities we have uh, in Lancaster County uh, were interested in any kind of a casino or any kind of a a facility to... uh, allow the uh, gambling expansion. Now, I will say that our two senators, uh, Senator Scott Martin and Senator Ryan Ahmet, were uh, individually contacting the municipalities in their particular senatorial districts, letting them know that a municipality needed to take action to opt out of uh, any uh, facility or casino in their particular municipality by December 31st. So they do have to take uh, specific action to opt out. I anticipate that's going to be done across Lancaster County. Uh, we have 18 boroughs. Some of them have small games of chance, but I, I just don't see in Lancaster County 
a, an expansion of gambling uh, that is allowed under the, the law that was passed. You know, I want to get back to your original statement, though, that you said you have always opposed the gambling as a, a way to generate revenue or uh, and that it's not a good fit in Lancaster County. And I'm, I, I, those sentiments have been echoed by a number of other counties throughout our region as well. But what in particular do you oppose about gambling? In my talks with uh, our drug and alcohol and addiction uh, Executive Director Rick Kastner, there is concern of the addictive nature of gambling, that it is damaging to individuals, can be damaging to families. It's not the same uh, as heroin or alcohol or other drugs, and that I, I, I recognize that, but it does have some uh, addictive uh, uh, qualities there that draws people in. And, and keeps them uh, keeps them gambling and putting their money up that could be used for uh, family type activities or other things, uh, other needs that they may have. That's always been my uh, objection to it. It just doesn't seem to be the way we should be raising money. I respect the industry. I respect that it's a business and there are um, jobs provided, taxes paid. Uh, there are counties that do have casinos, and they are happy with those casinos. That's fine for them, uh, just not for Lancaster County. Uh, what you were describing, I don't think that even the legislators who voted for this budget package, that expansion of gambling was their number one uh, uh, way to do it, their priority, the best way to do it, put it that way. Uh, but. As a commissioner, and if you had uh, the legislators' uh, ears, what would you say? Because, I mean, obviously they had a, a $2.5 billion uh, budget deficit, and this is one of the ways they were looking to, to close that. Uh, there are a few alternatives other than raising taxes. What would you have recommended to the legislators rather than expanding gambling? Well, uh, you know, first of all, uh, assuming that they did the very best job they can to uh, reduce the spending or hold the spending in line, uh, sometimes you just have to uh, take the bull by the horns and do what you have to do. I know that many times they'll uh, enact uh, fees or, or other uh, types of um, revenue-raising uh, um uh, again, fees, but uh, the expansion of gambling um, just is uh, not something that I, I'm supportive of, and I know that all of our uh, delegation voted against it other than uh, uh, our floor leader, uh, Brian Cutler, and he's part of leadership, and he did, I'm told, was instrumental in getting in there the opt-out for um, the municipality. So, um, Again, our delegation overall, a vast majority, was not for it. They represent the local municipalities and uh, their particular districts. So I have to go by their sentiment on it that it's just not the best form of uh, uh, cash and, and money raising for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. But we have to recognize it is here. It's passed in the law. Um, all we can do now is... Um, Make sure that any municipality that wants to opt out, opt out on time, try to get the word out, um, and again, personally, just not supportive of gambling as a as a money raiser. Commissioner, Ed, I, I, you've made yourself pretty clear, but let me bring up some points. There are pros and cons that uh, if people sat back and looked at this and said, well, yeah, this is a good point, this is a bad point. Some of the pros, uh, and you've touched on this yourself. A casino would bring more visitors to Lancaster County, and along with that, revenue. That has to be attractive somewhat. Are they coming here to gamble, or are they coming here to be tourists and visit the county? If they're coming here because of the gambling, they're not probably going to be touring the county and contributing to our tourism dollars. We can do, we, we with our uh, marketing product or our product in Lancaster County and our brand, we can do just as well marketing that brand and bring the tourists in, whether or not we can spend more money and bring more tourists in. I don't see and don't accept the argument that a gambling casino would bring more tourists in. Um, it just uh, doesn't make any sense to me. 
What about the jobs? I mean, there would be some permanent jobs. And from what I understand, these are, you know, pretty uh, good paying jobs. They would be permanent at the casino. And also there would be some uh, temporary construction jobs created. What about that? Well, there would be some temporary construction jobs. We have to admit that. But in our area, we've got a lot of things going in Lancaster County. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of construction going on right now. Uh, the permanent jobs we have to recognize that elected officials are always interested in permanent jobs that are, that are family sustaining. Um, but in this particular instance, I'd be willing to sacrifice those and try to draw in other businesses that were not involved in the uh, gambling. Um, gambling uh, business. Um, you know, we always have things going on with our economic development corporations, companies either trying to expand here or relocate here or come here for the first time and start up. So we're very busy all the time uh, trying to draw companies in that pay good family-sustaining jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a phone call from <clears throat> Gordon in Lancaster. Gordon, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. I just wanted to say um, two things. Number one, I agree with the commissioner. I don't think that uh, also you have to be a conservative in Lancaster County to reject gambling. I'm a Democrat, and I completely reject it on a couple of levels. One, I, I think it's the wrong way to fund our government. And secondly, I have many service industry friends that work at the casino in Harrisburg. And the, the sadness of the story is that they report, uh, you know, kind of witnessing the repeat gamblers It's a story that's not told enough of the people that actually uh, spend their lives and their, their, uh, you know, their earnings in these places. Hey, thank you very much for your call. Commissioner, it sounds like uh, something that you were concerned about. Well, yes. And, and, you know, there is firsthand um, uh, exposure to uh, the the uh, downside of gambling, people spending too much of their hard-earned dollars there, perhaps, and the impact on their lives and their families. Uh, and um, I don't know Gordon at all. I'm not sure who he is, but I, re- I appreciate the telephone call and the sentiment. Uh, as you can see, uh, you don't have to be a conservative or a Republican, which I am, to uh, Look at gambling as a as a means of funding the government, and say this just isn't the best way we could do things. Uh, Commissioner, uh, you know one thing I will point out is that uh, there is an off-track betting parlor that uh, is owned and operated by Penn National already uh, east of Lancaster. Uh, what's the difference? Is it the expansion or or just what? Well, for me, it's the difference. Now, the off-track betting parlor has been here for quite a long time. And let me go back and say also that some of our uh, municipalities have had referendum votes and allowed small games of chance for VFWs, American Legions. Uh, That's a very concentrated and contained and strict use of uh, any funds raised. Uh, the off-track betting uh, is is here in Lancaster. We, that's that's correct. But an expansion in a casino type uh, casino type arrangement, I think, goes back to uh, what Gordon uh, indicated with uh, his exposure to the workers at uh, uh, up in uh, Grantville that. You know, it does have an impact, and it's it's not a positive impact on lives. Lancaster County Commissioner Dennis Stuckey. Commissioner Stuckey, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for the one uh, for the call-in from Gordon. Appreciate that very much. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community Osteopathic, West Shore, Carlisle, Hanover, Lancaster, Lidditz, and Memorial Hospitals. More information is available at upmcpinnacle.com. 
We're discussing the state's gaming expansion bill, specifically the provision to build many casinos throughout the state. Gaming operators have been largely quiet. While the 10 designated mini casino licenses will be issued to existing casino operators, the brick-and-mortar establishments will have to be built at a minimum 25 miles away from existing casinos. Penn National, which owns Hollywood Casino at Penn National Racecourse in Dauphin County, sees the mini casinos as potentially a threat to their market share. Joining us is Eric Shippers, Vice President of Public Affairs and Government Relations with Penn National Gaming. Mr. Shippers, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. All right, so let me just start off with a broad question. What is Penn National's take on the mini casinos? Well, first of all, we are uh, very disturbed by the law that was passed, um, which was ill-conceived. Many of the legislators, if you watch the legislative debate, didn't even have a chance to read the 470-page bill that covers the gaming expansion, much less understand what the fiscal impact might be. And we firmly believe that it is uniquely punitive to our casino in Grantville. In what way? Well, so these 25-mile, quote-unquote, protective zones that you referenced that are to keep competition from coming within 25 miles does very little to protect us. More than two-thirds of our customers come from beyond the 25-mile radius. And so in the urban locations, whether you're in Philadelphia or Pittsburgh, 25 miles may be plenty to protect your market share. But for us out in the middle of central PA, these could come, these casinos could come to York, Lancaster, Reading, Gettysburg, Mechanicsburg, the list goes on and on, and that will have a profoundly cannibalization impact on our business. But as an existing gaming company that has an existing casino here in central Pennsylvania, you have the option of you know, bidding on one of the mini casinos, or I don't know if they're, if you're limited by the number that you could uh, create. Uh, first of all, let me ask you this, and I don't know whether uh, these, these plans are in cement yet. Does Penn National have plans to do that? Well, we're weighing all of our options uh, at this point as we parse through this 470-page massive expansion, probably the largest expansion of gaming in any jurisdiction in the country all at once um, to try to understand the, the full impact on us. So we're weighing legal options. We're also weighing options to, unfortunately, we're in the perverse position of having to potentially bid on one of these Cat 4s to recapture some of the market share that's already ours. So it's sort of bidding against ourselves. And even then, if we are able to get one of these licenses, there's nothing to say that two or three couldn't be propped up right next to uh, the new license that we would acquire. So it's a it's a terribly uh, bad piece of legislation that ultimately becomes a race to the bottom. When you say that uh, you're considering legal options, uh, would you possibly sue? We possibly would. I mean, that's one of the things that we're studying very carefully, given the disproportionately negative impact this will have on our business. And we weren't treated equally. There was an 11th-hour giveaway to the Mount Airy Casino, whereby their zone of protection effectively becomes well over 50 miles. Um, and they were uniquely given that giveaway, as well as some financial subsidies that uh, they and the smaller casinos will receive that we have to fund. In other words, there's a tax increase on some of the larger casinos to pay for marketing and economic development credits to the smaller casinos, just a total handout, and that impacts us disproportionately as well. As you said earlier, Penn National may be forced to pursue one of these mini casinos so that you don't lose your market share. Let's talk about the the scenario there. As you say that uh, a lot of your customers do come from outside that 25-mile zone. Say Penn National, and I know this is all speculation. I'll point that out, clarify that right up front, that this is all speculation. But say the company would put in a bid and win a bid for a mini casino that is 50 miles away from uh, from Grantville. Um, is there the potential to get more revenue because some of those people wouldn't have to travel as far to a mini casino, a Penn National mini casino, rather than going to Grantville? So one of the arguments that we made from the very beginning to answer that question was that when Pennsylvania set up the original Gaming Act in 2004, they did a very careful analysis of what each market 
represented for each of the casinos. And they looked at our market area and they said, your customers come from 60 miles away. That is your market. And you're going to pay a $50 million license fee to keep that market intact. And if there's any changes, new competition, changes in tax rates, we're going to give you a credit back on your $50 million application. Now, the minute the 10-year protective uh, time period on that deal expired, they're massively expanding gaming with these small casinos. So to answer your question, for us to put a casino within those 60 miles, it will have a cannibalization impact. Will it potentially marginally um, increase revenues? Potentially, but it'll come at the expense of potentially jobs and revenues at our existing casino in Granville, because we are at some point reaching the point of saturation, particularly with the casinos in the neighboring states. And so there's only so much gaming any given state can support. And now you're going to have essentially slot machines at truck stops. You're going to have uh, online gaming. You're going to have potentially sports betting. If the federal law changes, you're going to have these mini casinos across the state. You're going to have iLottery. I mean, this is a massive expansion of gaming. And at some point, you have to wonder, is the market there to support all this new gaming? So basically what you're saying is there is a finite number of gamblers. There is a a finite um, share of a gambler's discretionary wallet, shall we say. I mean, the the two most important ingredients for a gaming customer are discretionary time and discretionary income. These are people who, you know, want to go out and and, um, participate in this form of entertainment on the weekend or, or maybe a weeknight, have a dinner and watch the races. But at a certain point, if you bombard people with so many other options, of course, any one given option is going to have to see some reduction in how much discretionary spending happens at their place. Mm. Uh, do you compete with existing casinos? You mentioned Philly and Pittsburgh, and uh, you know there are other casinos across the state. Do you compete for customers with them? We do, and within Pennsylvania. I mean, right now, Reading is uh, essentially equidistance between us and Valley Forge, and, and Las Vegas Sands competes against us. And so Reading is sort of in the, the fight zone to our east. To our south, you have the Hollywood Casino at Charlestown. And while we own that as well, it's certainly from a, a state perspective uh, represents competition. And then there's a new facility and. Uh, actually, two new facilities in Maryland that have opened up, which are trying to steal market share from Pennsylvania. And so there really is a regional gaming arms race that has opened up uh, around the mid-Atlantic. And this form of massive expansion of gaming is, uh, you know, it's going to be very tough for those numbers to pencil, given all the other gaming that exists on the border states. Eric, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, you, uh, maybe you're not in a position to answer it, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, Obviously, you're not in the state legislature, and uh, you didn't have to deal with what the legislators did in trying to raise money for, uh, you know, to to close a hole in, in the budget. But your opinion, will the expansion of gambling in Pennsylvania, will the state bring in the kind of money that they need to or expect to? No way. I mean, unequivocally, I don't believe the state is going to hit estimates that were at best fuzzy math. And and just to give you another example, you have an online gaming bill here that at a tax rate of 54%. Now, we know that that is the highest tax rate for online gaming on the planet. Um, other states have their online tax rate somewhere between 7 to a maximum of 15%. So that is something that is going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to be profitable to the gaming operators. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, all this massive expansion of gaming was for them to try to put $265 million into year one of a budget, which if you look at, I mean, given you have to have construction lead times and licensing and auctioning, it's almost impossible to imagine that you could hit those numbers. And the most irresponsible thing, then, is to just pencil in a number that you know is questionable at best and then know you have to deal with this the next time the budget comes up for debate again. Mm. 
Eric Shippers, I don't know whether you can give us a timeline, but uh, time is of the essence. Uh, uh, January 1st is one deadline for taking bids. January 16th, uh, the state has to uh, uh, start on the blind auctions for licenses. Any timeline for Penn National to make a decision on what you're going to do? We don't have a timeline at this point, unfortunately. We are cognizant of uh, the deadline for municipalities to opt out by December 31st. And frankly, some of um, our consideration is going to be which municipalities end up opting out. Um, that, that certainly will help us understand a little bit more the competitive landscape, those municipalities that could impact or those that are taken off the board and will not have an impact. So that's a data point that we're going to be looking for. Eric Shippers is Vice President of Public Affairs and Government Relations with Penn National Gaming. Mr. Shippers, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. We're going to be talking about uh, the mini casinos for about another 10 minutes, and then uh, Pennsylvania Treasurer Joe Torcello will join us uh, talking about a couple new programs that the Treasury is involved with. Now on the line, we have uh, State Senator Kim Ward, a Republican from Westmoreland County. Senator Ward, how are you today? I am on my way to the Big Bird. <laughs> I hope I can. I hope we don't lose each other on the cell phone. All right. Well, hopefully we won't. But uh, let's let's see what we can do. Uh, you were someone that was a big supporter of expanding uh, into uh, many casinos, at least in Westmoreland County. What were your thoughts on that? Well, when you when you look at the original gaming bill, you know they they picked certain parts of the state to put these casinos, and those parts of the state are, it is really, because the way the money was split, it's really a competitive disadvantage for everyone else because, so they have a minimum that we're uh, getting $10 million, right? $10 million, that's economic development money that those counties had to leverage more economic development money from the state. And being in Westmoreland County, we are surrounded by three counties with casinos. Whoever was in office then did not... Um, do their job, I, I think, and by getting, you know, it, like some of the areas they talked about, I think Mount Airy, they, they shared some of that money among the counties. But in Westmoreland's case, which we're big, you know, we're bigger than Washington. We're a lot bigger than Washington, a lot bigger than Fayette, and we were getting zero. Um, you know, they put, they put the money in the CFA, but everybody was able to get those CFA awards. And I just thought, if the casinos were interested, and some of them were, I just listened to part of Penn National, you know, they were interested in online gaming because they have that. You know, they do that. They were the only one last year that wanted online gaming. But some of these casinos were very interested in having satellites. Now, these satellites, I think, were probably ended up bigger than what I would have, you know, was trying to get done a year or so ago. But, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's just about... Local to me, it was local. It wasn't about state. It was about local economic development money. When you, Senator, when you say that uh, they may end up bigger, the mini casinos may end up bigger than what you expected, I think a lot of us are trying to uh, wrap our heads around what they would look like. Picture one of these. How do you see a mini casino? What will it look like? How big will it be? What will it offer? Well, if you just look around the casinos that are here now that are that exist in Pennsylvania, you see there's a lot of things that go on around them. So um, I take the one the meadows in Washington. I consider that even though it's not I don't really cover that area. I consider it my casino because I grew up in Meadowlands and my family lives there and it's where I go when I'm home if I want to go to a casino. Um, all around it you have development everywhere. So I look at maybe uh, a place where they put a casino and they have some restaurants around and you know, you're going to have to have more shopping, more gas stations, maybe a hotel or two, because now people are going to, um, to to possibly come in and use your area and visit your area. This was very, as I just mentioned, local to me. This wasn't about the state. This was about local opportunity to uh, get a piece of that action, because, you know, at the beginning, it would have been nice, and now we couldn't get them to do it, because, you know, if you stay to the rivers or to... Uh, Nemecolon or so the Meadows, yeah. Okay, guys, and these old legislators, you're going to have to cut us in on a little piece of this. That was just never going to happen. So, um, 
you know, I didn't get a big pushback from casinos. I didn't really hear from them. And it wasn't until the very last minute that one of them, because I called them, like, what do you think? What are you thinking about this? And it was right five minutes before the vote. They're like, oh, we're, we're against it. Because what they told me before that is we're still looking at it. And, you know, things do happen quickly there in Harrisburg, and you don't always get all the information that you need. Believe me. <laughs> well, that's what, uh, as, if you... If you heard Penn National's uh, response to that, uh, you know, they, it's Eric Shippers from Penn National said that uh, legislators didn't have time, that it happened too quickly, that everyone didn't have time to read that 470-page piece of legislation. Did you read that? Did you understand everything? No, you couldn't read all of it that quickly. But, you know, this has been being worked on for a while. It wasn't like it was all some big surprise and they're like, oh, that's not true. What they cared about. What they care about is, is their casino going to be able to stay healthy? That's, a, that's important. What they cared about is, is uh, another casino, a cat, a cat one or cat two that's existing, are they going to be coming into my area? You know, that's number two. Um, I was a little, I mean, uh, I was a little surprised that we had 700 games, you know, 750 plus. That, that surprised me because it was much smaller before. Um, you know, when I, when I tried to start this a couple years ago, it wasn't about tables. It was just about slots. And um, now we just ended up with, you know, big casinos. And I, I think it's also, you know, like Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh International and Philly and, and some of the other airports in the middle that, that fly so many flights a, a year, they also wanted to have it. But Pittsburgh and Philly were really pushing for uh, to have slot machines behind the security and that was that was important to them and it was it was a hold up so we try to get this done i'm going to say two years ago in a, a much smaller more controlled way we couldn't get the casino to the table to work with anybody they they would say okay and this one would say no we were trying to help everybody and they while none of them were against the satellite at that time they were not against the satellites. They were against online, except for Penn National. They weren't against online because they have online. But, Senator, um, we, have, we have a phone call here from a listener. It has a question that I was going to ask as well. Peter from Harrisburg. Peter, you're on the air. The Republican Party, which with its tremendous majority, sells itself as being fiscally responsible. Why can't they handle a budget in a fiscally responsible way instead of having it be by emergency, one-time-only fixes, and then turn around and next year we're going to have the same thing again? they got to fix the system. Thank you very much. Peter, thank you for your call. But let me, I think you got the gist of his question, Senator. But you said that this was entirely local for you. But you need these, when I say you, meaning the legislators who approve this budget, Governor Wolf, well, he hasn't signed off on it, but uh, basically approves of the, of the budget. Uh, you need these casinos to do well. And whether they're mini casinos or the existing casinos, you need them to do well. And then to Peter's point, is this a one-year fix? You know, I think that we will get, I mean, the, the licensing, uh, supposedly, if they if they sell the 10, you know, that'll that's a big fall of the budget. But we're hoping that we get more revenue from it. And that's for the budget question in general. Look, yes, we have large majorities, the Republicans do, but we have, we don't control the governor's office. And whether... Someone like Peter wants to hear it or not. Um, I respectfully say we have a governor with a different idea, so he gets a seat at the table. We can't do anything unless you have veto-proof majorities. There, you do not totally control the agenda or what happens. I mean, yeah, you can shut down the government. Uh, what good does that do? Social services and schools and things that we we have to represent. It's we, the governor gets a seat at the table. And we have to negotiate with him, whether, you know, folks like it or not. I know it's so great. Oh, the Republicans, the Republicans have this. We do not control the governor's office, and he gets a seat at the table. So, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, government isn't perfect, and we all know that. But, Senator, the governor didn't come up with this plan. I mean, this no, was— but he wants the revenue. He wants the spending number. He wanted a higher spending number. Mm. So we buckled him into a lower spending number— and uh, 
you know, he gets a seat. He's not going to sign a, a bare-bones budget. It's not going to happen. So I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not. I'm just saying that we he gets a seat at the table just like we do. And you have to, uh, you have to work together. Mm. I mean, you have to make something work for Pennsylvania. That's our job to govern. It's not our job to pull in and uh, say, well, this is, you know, this is what we think, and this is the way it's always going to be, or, and we're not changing. It doesn't work that way. It could work that way if you have veto-proof majorities in both chambers, but we do not. Senator Kim Ward, Senator Kim Ward's a Republican from Westmoreland County. Thank you for joining us. I, I assume you're in your car right now. Senator, I am. <laughs> Senator, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. The state's Treasury is undertaking some undertaking some new initiatives to encourage energy efficiency and sustainability for municipalities and schools and aid Pennsylvanians with disabilities. Joining us to discuss the Pennsylvania Sustainable Energy Fund and PA Able Savings Fund is State Treasurer Joe Tercella. Treasurer Tercella, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. Good to be with you. I was going to say it's a pleasure to be on not talking about the state budget for once, but I heard part of your last segment, and I see it's we're still talking about it. And I'm going to follow up on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, regret, I'll regret that. I, I, I know. I know. But I no, I was going to ask this question anyway because it just it, it has to be asked. But, uh, you know, we've been talking about the mini casinos, and uh, Penn National Gaming said that uh, what has been proposed and signed off on basically or agreed to uh, will not bring in the kind of revenue that the state uh, is anticipating. The expansion of gambling will not bring in that kind of revenue. As treasurer, do you have an opinion? Do you think that will happen? Well, look, I, I've said through the uh, budget process uh, that I'm, uh, I'm not – no one elected me to be the sixth budget negotiator between the four caucuses and, and the governor. I think we've got plenty of problems with just five. What I will say, though, is my continuing concern uh, is that when we, quote-unquote, balance our budget uh, with you know, th- things that are speculative or one-time in nature – uh, you know, we are buying ourselves more of this trouble and more of the kind of dysfunction that your last uh, that your last caller referenced. You- um, so I, I, I hope everyone will keep their eyes on uh, what I think remains the the issue going forward, and that is, you know, we we continue to have sort of a structural mismatch that we have to grapple with. Do you see this expansion of gambling as a one time fix? Well, I, I put that more in the category of speculative is too strong a word, but uh, you know when when you balance budget with things that you know uh, we've seen in past years where uh, two hundred million dollars from X or several hundred million from Y don't materialize, we've sort of been down this road before. Now I don't think that's entirely the case here, um, and this is nuanced, and there are issues about you know the rate that Pennsylvania gets from its uh, from its uh, tax on gambling and. You know what this will do. I've seen different opinions of what this will do to the markets, uh, the existing markets and revenues. But what what I really want to emphasize is this: you know, we, we have some variation of this conversation every year. If, if you and I had spoken about a year ago, uh, or actually at the end of the last budget, which was not a year ago, um, yeah, we would have been talking about other items in the budget that were kind of questionable. So. Uh, until we until we grapple with that structural reality, and we're going to be in this in this uh, kind of lurching forward state, which makes for interesting radio. Yes, um, it does. Makes for makes for compelling politics. But here's the thing that get, that bothers me. What it means is that we now spend, by my count, you know, uh, a good third of this year, sort of just arguing about how we're going to essentially for a household pay the grocery bill. And virtually no time talking about the kind of long-range strategic challenges we have in Pennsylvania or the kind of programs I want to talk about today. Well, let's do that. Uh, The the real reason that uh, we're having you on today, talk about a couple new initiatives uh, that the Pennsylvania Treasury has undertaken. The Pennsylvania Sustainable Energy Fund, what is it? So PENSEF, it's a a nicer acronym than it is when you say the whole name, is – a program that provides, uh, number one, some pretty impressive technical and legal assistance, um, and number two, low-cost capital for energy improvements by the the sector of our economy that includes municipalities, universities, schools, and hospitals, and other nonprofits. So how known, does it work? 
known unattractively as the mush sector. <laughs> uh, and what, what it does is that it, it uh, in the first case, provides a free energy audit um, for, for those entities. Uh, and if there are potentially qualifying projects that improve energy efficiency, uh, whether that's things like uh, changing out lighting or using sensors or combining uh, heat and power or using alternative and renewable uh, power sources or water conservation me- uh, measures, then this th- th- this uh, sort of group of experts we have, which, by the way, is led by literally a Nobel Prize winner, um, comes in and helps design a project that helps the entity obtain low-cost uh, kind of especially attractive financing to put it in place. Now, the best way to make it real, I think, is to give an example. We had our uh, kind of uh, debut project uh, somewhere in the last couple of months. I think it was in the spring of this year. And it was uh, 35 municipalities in southeastern Pennsylvania who we banded together to upgrade their street lights to LED lights. Um, and it, it, it's expected to be complete by the end of this year. There's sort of a year year of work in the rearview mirror. Lighting typically amounts to about 60 to 70 percent of a local government's energy budget. Um, so what we were able to help them do with expertise, with packaging things so they got a better rate, and with financing was replace 26,000 streetlights and traffic signals with LED lights. What this means is there's a huge savings for them of about a million dollars recurring every year in operating costs. But there's also an environmental savings to the Commonwealth uh, that they reduced their energy consumption by 10,000 megawatt hours and I think took nearly 6,000 metric tons of CO2 emissions out over the course of the project. So for us, and we've got other projects in development, uh, we're looking working with a, uh, with a small college, we're looking at a uh, sewage treatment facility, uh, we think in this sector there's enormous potential for energy savings, and we think from Treasury's point of view, this is a terrific investment for us. Um, you know, we start and end every conversation we have about investing tax dollars with, is this a good you know, and prudent investment? I will tell you we had an earlier, earlier program that focused on homeowners. Uh, that uh, not only we never lose a penny on, but literally during the financial crisis was our best performing investment. So we see, uh, and I don't want to sound flip about this, uh, climate change represents a real threat, but it also represents an enormous economic opportunity for Pennsylvania. Uh, so let's talk about the money aspect of this. Uh, when you call it an investment, that means that there's some money being spent. Uh, where is that money coming from? So the underlying, what we do with the audit um, is, is fi- identify projects that can fully pay for themselves over their life cycle. Um, but sort of realizing those projects is often beyond the scope of a, think about your local municipality. My guess is, you know, there's a lot of stresses and strains on uh, on their budget and on how far ahead they can look. Um, similarly, the case in, in uh, many nonprofits. And uh, we help them sort of, uh, you know, take this to market um, and obtain the financing for it over the long term. And there are some interesting variations here that you know, we're able to kind of make it more attractive and lower cost, um, but also make it a better return for us. It's not grant money. It's essentially, you know, we, we identify long-term loans uh, that finance these projects that then pay for themselves. You mentioned the municipalities, and first of all, I have to say that uh, getting 35 municipalities to do to something do together, right. <laughs> in, in Pennsylvania, that's quite a feat right there. Uh, but And I also have to say that I was surprised that uh, 60% of an energy bill in a municipality goes for streetlights, so uh, that, that could be some, some real savings there. Absolutely. Uh, but you also mentioned, you touched on it, that there are individual institutions that are eligible for this as well, hospitals, colleges colleges and universities, schools, uh, some others as well. You know, how can a smaller institution, when I say smaller, meaning smaller than a municipality, how can they uh, participate in this? Well, what, what we ideally will try and do is, you know, sort of band together kind of like projects. Um, and that's what was exciting about working with municipalities. But we're I want to emphasize, if anyone listening is on the board or running something in the, and we really need a better name than the mush sector, but with with a university or a hospital, um, to please get in touch with us. 
uh, and let us the, the first audit is free uh, and let us see if there's a potential project there uh, and whether that project is individual or whether that's something that you know we could we could uh, band together with kind of like projects around the state and realize some economic benefits by by sort of packaging things that way. Uh, you know, this, this is the this is the problem we have. I mean, you referenced municipalities. I spent time as chair of the Pennsylvania School uh, Board, where we had at the time I think 502 school districts. The problem when you have such a you know, and, and we're blessed with it. We have a huge diversity of institutions in Pennsylvania. Um, but if if everyone is sort of you know in in a small silo, you don't see the potential for doing things in a bigger way and doing things together. So what what I want to leave everyone with is you know there there's no there's no minimum or maximum here. This is a, a new program. We're very excited by its potential, um, but folks should get in touch with us, and they can do that as easily as going to our website and, and uh, calling my office. Uh, and we'll get them in the right spot and see if there's something we can help with. Now, you, as you say, you're looking, the, the audit is to determine whether they can find efficiencies. Uh, by, and I have to admit that one of the things I'm picturing, and tell me if this is accurate or not, um, I know Elizabethtown College is just one recently that uh, uh, constructed uh, a, a large uh, solar panel farm uh, on, on the campus or just off the campus of, uh, of E-Town. I mean, once an audit determines that uh, this institution can find a better way to be more efficient with its energy needs, does it automatically, or maybe automatically is not the good word, but does it often go toward uh, renewable energies as a better way? Correct. That's that's a classic, and you know maybe maybe the best example. I mean, the, you know, but there there's a whole spectrum of things right, you know, that are smaller bore um, things like the LED lights, going all the way up to you know a a place like Elizabethtown or or a similar campus developing you know what they call a microgrid, and what you're I think what you're touching on there is one of the things we're excited by, which is that. This, as I said, climate change is a threat, but it also is a, a real economic opportunity. We have clearly a challenge in Pennsylvania where I think by the most recent data where we were the, as a state, maybe the third or fourth largest emitter. And by some some reckonings, I think if we were a country, we'd be, uh, if I recall correctly, maybe the 10th largest emitter in the world. But we also have this 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 enormous opportunity. Um, there are currently, I've seen estimates, you know, as many as 70,000 jobs uh, in the clean energy field in Pennsylvania. Uh, and we think given the imperative of addressing climate change, that number is going to grow and grow and grow. And we want, you know, we want to uh, help make Pennsylvania a part of that. So something, you know, something uh, like a like a solar installation or developing a microgrid or the, those projects all qualify. Uh, but again, if you're if you're sort of left to your own devices, I mean, there's a, there is an industry out there, and we work with them who help identify these things. Uh, but if you're left to your own devices, it's hard to figure out what are the options and what are the most financially sensible options, and how do we do it? Uh, but if you imagine you have a team uh, who's truly there to help, and that team includes a Nobel Prize winner uh, for his work on climate change and real expertise in all this, and as well as financing expertise. Uh, and potentially financing. If the numbers work, it all looks a lot easier. Our guest during this portion of the program is Pennsylvania's Treasurer, Joe Tercella. Treasurer Tercella, I want to switch gears for just a moment, talk about uh, Pennsylvania ABLE, uh, a program that would benefit uh, disabled Pennsylvanians. Talk about uh, PA ABLE, if you would. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful and new program, and it, it, it's part of our historic mission. You know, Scott, you and I have talked about this in the past. In the end, the financial security of Pennsylvania only reflects the financial security of Pennsylvanians, uh, which is why we've been in the college savings business uh, and, and why we are uh, debut things like the ABLE program. What it is is a, a, a new, it's newly permissible under law, and it's a tax advantage savings accounts uh, for people with disabilities and their families, um, of which, by the way, the estimates are there may be as many as 800,000 Pennsylvanians who, who, who fit into that category. Now, why is this important? For two reasons. Um, one, like college savings accounts, uh, like retirement accounts, this program comes with real tax advantages. It is, and, and I, I want to give a shout out and a thanks, buried in the in the budget, although you know, four months late, was uh, a provision that made contributions to Pennsylvania ABLE accounts uh, deductible on your state income taxes. And 
I want to thank Senator Baker and Representative O'Neill and other leaders who worked on that over several years. Um, and But it's also tax-advantaged in the way it grows. It can grow over time, uh, and you don't pay taxes on the earnings or on the distributions from the account. But second, you may know that when uh, folks have disabilities, we have a kind of perverse uh, set of incentives in our in our current laws, and they essentially force people with disabilities to spend themselves into poverty. In many cases, to, to qualify for Medicaid or for SSI, you can only have or used to be able to have only $2,000 in, in assets, uh, which is a, a terrible spot to put people in and a terrible spot to put families in. I mean, I've heard heart-wrenching stories about parents who told us they were advised by their lawyers to, for example, disinherit their child uh, so that they would continue to qualify for benefits. ABLE gets rid of that. ABLE says that these assets are exempt from those requirements. So people with disabilities can now, and their families, can now start saving for their needs and for their dreams. And and what you can use an ABLE account on is is a, a very wide set of criteria. So what it's really doing is kind of empowering those Pennsylvanians to build their own financial future and give them the right something, frankly, they should have had the right to a long time ago, and that's to, to save their own money and to and to uh, you know, to build their own assets. Uh, it, it is, as you say, very new, uh, and, and part of the problem here is you know, we need to get the word out, and there's understandable skepticism in that community. They're worried about what will happen to their benefits. Uh, but as of today, I think we're approaching uh, getting close to about a thousand accounts across Pennsylvania. I think we have uh, nearly half a million dollars in savings in, in just your li- listenership. So it's catching on, but we'd like to help it catch on quickly. Real quickly, because I'm out of time, uh, Treasurer. Uh, how can someone uh, who is disabled or their family? How can they participate in the program? Uh, easy is going to paable.gov. There is no fee. There's a $25 minimum uh, to open an account. Uh, it can be spent on, you know, on all kinds of things that improve the lives of people with disabilities, uh, and uh, we'll help walk anyone through the process. So go to either our website, patreasury.gov, or, or the dedicated website, which is paable.gov, and find out more about it if you or someone you know or care about has a disability. State Treasurer Joe Torsella, Treasurer Torsella, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. Good to be with you. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to start a project or tell you about the start of a project on gerrymandering redistricting in Pennsylvania. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, part of UPMC Pinnacle, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at upmcpinnacle.com spine.